tonight. We are in Ephesians tonight. We're beginning chapter 4. And so really excited about studying this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, we've talked in the past as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And, and the first three chapters of Ephesians uh, deal pr- predominantly with uh, doctrinal issues. Uh, what, what is it that we believe as Christians? Uh, specifically, what is it that um, Christ has revealed to the Apostle Paul concerning the riches we have as, as Christians, uh, as well as this mystery of the church. Uh, the church is, is, is a new entity. Um, and so we, we've looked back in chapter 3 about Paul um, sharing this mystery that was revealed to him, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, now we move from the transition. Paul prays for them. And now we're moving into a section that deals with uh, the unity uh, of the church, the unity of the body of Christ, as well as the diversity of the body of Christ. And this picks up uh, pretty much right where chapter 3 uh, left off, where Paul tells us that they're no longer Jew nor Greek or Jew nor Gentile, uh, that now the separating wall that divided us has been torn down, and we've been made into one body. Essentially, we've been made into the church, the body of Christ. And, and so the church is made up of various people from various places, full of diversity. And yet, even though we're, we're such a diverse group, uh, we're also unified in Christ. And so what we have in common, Jesus Christ, is bigger than the things that, that might the world may try to use to separate us. And, and so we, we begin in, in chapter 4, and I'll give you a second to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, because the, the last three chapters of Ephesians, if we've been looking forward to, to these chapters, deals a lot more with uh, practical uh, use of, of the doctrine. So in the first three chapters, Paul tells us this is the doctrine, this, these are the issues, this is what we believe, and this is what has been revealed to me, uh, that we've been chosen in, in, um, in Christ even before the foundations of the world, um, that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, that we are the church, and the church is a mystery that's been revealed. And Paul, uh, writing this book to the Ephesians, is sharing the knowledge that God's revealed to him concerning the church. Um, and so you'll notice that chapter 4, if you look, chapter 4 begins with this, um, uh, this word, therefore. And I'm sure that your pastor and, and your Bible teacher uh, has always said to you that when you see the word therefore, uh, you definitely want to ask, what's it there for? Uh, ultimately, what Paul is saying is therefore, um, and that refers to the first three chapters. Therefore, since all that I've shared with you from chapters 1 through 3, and now he's going to go into this practical, how do we live out what it is I've shared with you? And so I uh, really uh, love this, um, this passage. Um, there are a couple of, uh, I guess, um, uh, verses uh, that, um, that there may be somewhat different interpretations of. Uh, most of it is just really practical stuff. And, and so uh, I'll try to share with you um, as much as I can without getting kind of into the muck and into the mud or, or too deep on uh, some of the, a verse or two here and there. Uh, but basically, what we're looking at tonight is how God has called us as the church uh, through Jesus Christ, uh, enabled by the Holy Spirit, to be unified with one another. And so, so again, as believers in Christ, uh, what draws us to one another and what unifies us is so much stronger and so much bigger than what may try to divide us. 
And so just want to read, uh, just want to begin reading and then digging in. And, and I know there'll be some who, who sign on later and some who have to come back and watch this um, uh, later on. They can't watch it live, I understand that. But I just want to open us in prayer and then we're just going to dig into Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the first 16 verses. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word to study. We thank you for a platform such as Facebook Live and, and Vimeo and YouTube and other channels where the church uh, can share a message, can do a Bible study. And so we're thankful for the opportunity tonight to do this. I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us uh, open eyes, open hearts, open ears to, to hear from you. Because uh, ultimately, we, we're not simply on a quest to gain knowledge. We, we want to live in a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if all we do through our study of, of the Word is to, to gain knowledge, then we're missing something because we want it to change our lives. And so we pray tonight that this study would, would open our eyes to new things of how we might live uh, imitating our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in a way that the world may see Him in and through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so Ephesians 4, we jump in. Therefore, uh, again, Paul, all that I've told you in the verses of chapters 1 through 3, therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. And so if we're going to be united, and, and ultimately what Paul is telling us in these next 16 verses is that the church ought to be unified at the same time, the church ought to recognize the diversity within the body, the different gifts, the different talents we all bring. And ultimately, it's the church's responsibility to equip the members of the church, to equip believers to use the different talents and gifts they've been given um, uh, by God through the Holy Spirit of God in order to minister to the world around us. And so, uh, so Paul says, um, live worthy of your calling. And so if, if Ephesians 1 um, verse 4 says that even before the foundations of the world that we've been chosen, we've been called in Christ, then Paul begins by saying, since all this is true, uh, live worthy of your calling. I think th there's probably nothing um, more important to the modern day church and especially the church in America with all the prosperity that we have in this country and, uh, and all the freedoms that we have in this country um, that, that we really need to challenge the church or the Lord Jesus Christ to do is to live worthy of their calling in Christ. Now, this is not a call to salvation by works. This is not saying that you have to be perfect or you're not accepted. This is saying that if God's called you and God's chosen you and you've been given the Holy Spirit of God, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead, then, then you have the ability to live worthy to the calling in Christ. Simply put, we can't just willfully be living in open rebellion and sin against God. If we're doing that, then we're not living uh, according or worthy of the call that we have in Christ Jesus. And so as Christians, we've been called uh, to be transformed uh, by the renewing of our minds, Paul would say. And, and so we need to make sure, we need to check ourselves, right? So this isn't to point fingers at other people. It's to look inwardly in our own life and say, am I really living a, a life worthy of what I've been called to in Christ Jesus? And I just want to share with you, as someone who's called to pastor, um, 
every calling of Christ on the life of believers is a high calling. And so my calling as a pastor does not, is not any higher of a calling than, than those who have been called to teach or those who have been called to be doctors and nurses. Right? If God's called us, then we are to use the gifts and talents we have to the very best of our ability. And so God wants to use us in different ways because we have various gifts, various talents, various passions. Uh, but whatever it is God has called us to, whatever it is God's made you uh, passionate about and given you a heart for, then live worthy of that calling in your life. Now, Paul gives a couple of um, little uh, tips of how we can live worthy to the call in, in, in verse 2 because he says, all right, live worthy to the calling you've received, verse 2, with all humility. And so if we're going to be worthy of the call that we have in Christ Jesus, then first we have to be humble. Um, and so um, when you look at, at the, the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not sure that there has ever been a more humble person. Um, he's, he's God and man to walk the earth in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he walked in humility. Um, Philippians 2 tells us that, um, that he humbled himself and took on the form of a man. And, and so we are to be humble in the same way that Christ is humble. Every good thing we have comes from God. Every talent we've been given comes from God. And the calling that we have in our life is a God-given calling. It's something that God's equipped us and given us. And we need to use those things for the, for the furtherance of the kingdom of God uh, in humility first. And then he says to do it with patience. And so if we're going to live out our call, if we're going to live the calling in our life out, we have to first be humble in mind and humble in spirit. And then we also have to be patient with others, right? And he continues bearing with one another in love. And so the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're really going to be effective and we're really going to be united and we're really going to be um, the church that, that the Lord Jesus Christ has called us to be, then it's going to start with unity in the church. And you can't have unity in the church if you don't have humility and patience. Uh, he describes that patience at the end of verse 2 by saying patience, bearing with one another in love. So this is a beautiful definition of, of patience, that we bear with one another in love. Uh, listen, we're people, and, uh, and we, we rub each other the wrong way sometimes. We're family as the body of Christ, but even family members, we sometimes rub each other the, the, the wrong way, and sometimes we say a word at the wrong time. And, uh, and so we need to bear with one another in patience, forgiving one another as Christ Jesus has forgiven us. And so we, we need to be humble. Uh, when we see a brother struggling, a sister struggling, then in humility and love and patience, we ought to walk with them through what they're struggling with. Uh, verse 3, that we should make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so this is Paul saying, listen, um, God has separate, taken the separating wall out, and so now the church is open to all people from everywhere. Uh, all diverse backgrounds, different languages, different cultures, different races. Now the gospel is to be spread to all people everywhere, and, and these various people with these differences and a very diverse group of people are going to become the body of Christ and so if, if we being that diverse in our calling as Christians, then we've got to be humble. 
we've got to be willing to bear with one another in patience. We've got to be able to to live in every possible way in love and in unity. And, uh, and we do that through the bond of peace. And so we know that, that Scripture would tell us that we should, uh, at, if at all possible, live at peace both with God and peace with men. Uh, this is true of all people, but it, it, especially to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to live at peace with those who have been called uh, to, to the body of Christ who are our brothers and sisters. If we can't love one another and we can't uh, share each other's burdens, if we can't love one another in humility, um, then, then where are we going to find unity in this world if we can't find it in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? And Paul's saying, therefore... Since God has brought you together in this mystery called the church, then do everything you can by being humble, um, by being, uh, by showing humility, gentleness, peace, love, love one another, and be unified. And so the, the first part of this passage of, of, of chapter 4 is Paul saying, it is essential that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ um, be unified. I'm not sure there's nothing any more important than a unified church. Now, the enemy would seek to divide us, of course. The world would seek to divide us. There are many things that the Gospels and that Scripture clearly teach that are to bring us together, all people from everywhere to be brought together with our differences to make up a beautiful tapestry that's called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the world will tell us over and over by the TV shows we watch, by the news stations, by the, the stories you read in the papers of how divisive we should be. When in fact what we've been called to be as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is humble, meek, gentle, peaceful, loving, unified as the body of Christ. In verse 4 the Apostle Paul continues and says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. If you'll remember kind of back in the, uh, in the book of Acts, now remember that, that the New Testament is not written in chronological order. Uh, it is uh, first, uh, we have the Gospels, the first four Gospels, and then we have all the, the letters and the books that the Apostle Paul wrote, and they're arranged by how long they are, not by when they were written. And so, uh, so we're not talking about chronological um, time here as we read through the New Testament. But if you look back to the book of Acts, which is a chronological account of the Great Commission beginning to unfold, uh, first through the Apostles in Jerusalem, uh, and then as they're dispersed, and, and then the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. And you'll remember that, uh, that the, the Apostle Peter uh, is in the city of, of Joppa, and um, he, he's kind of praying out on a rooftop. He has a vision, the sheet coming down with all, uh, all types of animals on it. And what he's told is to eat this, and this, this vision is not about eating. This vision is about that the Gentiles now... Uh, God has opened the gospel up so that the Gentiles may hear the gospel. Uh, Paul goes to Cornelius' house in Caesarea Philippi. When he gets there, um, 
uh, then, I'm sorry, Caesarea. Uh, when he gets to Caesarea, uh, all of Cornelius' house comes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're saved. And, and this is the sign that they were given. They, they spoke in tongues the way that the apostles did at Pentecost. And the reason for that was that it was evidence that the very same spirit that the apostles and the Jewish believers and followers of Christ received, that the Gentiles received the same spirit. What the Apostle Paul here is, is laying out the same argument and saying, listen, um, the gospel is now available not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. And, and the same spirit that saves the Jew is the same spirit who saves the Gentile. And the same hope of the calling that the Jew has is the same hope and calling that the Gentile has. And the, the same faith that the Jew has is the same faith that the Gentile has. And so we're not, our faith isn't in two different things. Uh, we're not uh, experiencing two different spirits. We're not experiencing two different baptisms. Uh, but there's one call, one hope, one church, one spirit, one faith, one baptism. Paul and all uh, just continues to, to use this language of unity to say, listen, we ought to be able to come together in peace and gentleness and humility because we've been called by the same Christ. And, um, and it is the same Christ uh, that became our substitutionary atonement that died on the cross for our sins. And, and so we ought to be able to come together unified under this, this uh, understanding that we are called to one body, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, one Spirit. And, um, and it is the same God and the Father of all that's above all, that's through all, that's in all. And so ultimately Paul is saying as many ways as he can, we should be unified because we're all being called into the same body, one body, unified. And so this is how we practically live it out. We, we live it out. We live out our faith. We live out our hope. We, we live out our calling unified with the body of Christ and the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ going to a lost world in love, humility, and gentleness. Now, verse 7, Paul says, Now grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want you to notice that what Paul's about to do is he's, gonna, um, he's not going to leave the topic of unity within the church. But he's going to begin to talk about the diversity that we find in the church. And so he begins by saying this. Now listen, what makes us different and what, what makes us um, the measures of grace we have and the gifts we have and the diversity we have, all those things come from Christ. And, and so our unity is more important than our differences, but we ought to see our differences as something that strengthens the church. And so when we begin to recognize that we are all uniquely, wonderfully, creatively made by God for a purpose uh, to serve as the body of Christ and his representative uh, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, if that's the case, then we need to embrace one another's differences um, and understand they make us better, they make us stronger. They actually, even though we're all different, it actually creates a more unified body. But what it requires is it requires every single one of us doing our part. It requires every single one of us taking serious the calling that we have in Jesus Christ and then putting that calling to use. Now, uh, verse 7 and 8, uh, going into 9, may be um, one of the verses that 
uh, people uh, so much struggle with or wonder exactly what this means. So I'm going to share with you what, what I, um, when I read this, uh, what I take it to mean, why I take it to mean that other passages of Scripture that relate to it. But it says this, uh, verse 7 again, that each of us, according to the measure uh, of Christ's gift to each of us, and then verse 8 says, for it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to the people. And so Christ is the one who gives us the, the gifts that we have through his grace. But then verse 9 talks uh, goes a little bit deeper to, um, to dealing with the dissension of Christ. Or, or um, maybe easier to just say uh, the time between the, the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Verse 9 says, but... Uh, but what does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? Um, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And, and so we're talking about Christ and we're talking about this. He descended, right? He defeats death, hell, and the grave. First uh, Peter 3.19 talks about this. Uh, about how um, that he defeats Satan, he defeats death, hell, and the grave, and he goes and ministers to the spirits. Um, now, now, for me, just the easiest way to explain it without getting too deep into what could be uh, murky waters is just to simply say this. Uh, we read in the New Testament how there are those, um, all the way back in Genesis, where Satan tries to thwart the plan of God. Uh, where God has given man, made man, given him dominion over the earth to co-reign with him, to have authority, to be fruitful, and to multiply, to fill the earth. Of course, sin comes into the picture. Um, we get to like Genesis 6, and we're kind of reading about this uh, demonic um, creatures that, that end up, uh, it, what it says is that the, the sons uh, of God um, basically mated with the daughters of men and created the, the Nephilim, which uh, were, were this giant, these mighty warriors. Um, and, I, and I think whatever you interpret that to be, it's definitely anti-God. Uh, it, is, it is a creation of something that is trying to pervert what God created in Genesis, man in his own image. Now there's this, this new creature by whatever you interpret the sons of God and the daughters of man to be, it is obvious that the uh, offspring is not uh, what God created in man and man being in God's image. And so this is ultimately destroyed through the, through the flood, uh, if you read Genesis literally. And so what it says is for, uh, and, and then we read other places where those, those angels or demonic influence left their abode so they left their proper place in order to do this and they're they've been chained up for eternity so essentially they tried to destroy the plan of God where God made man in his own image and then would redeem man through his son uh, this was a demonic attempt to thwart the plan of God and uh, and so when understand that that when Christ dies on the cross that this is ultimate victory. It means that God's plan 
to save mankind and redeem those who are called is finished in the words of Jesus Christ. And so he actually goes to minister or to proclaim victory. And so it's almost like a victory lap, um, so to speak. And so Christ descends, ministers to those spirits, uh, then he ascends, and, and according to Paul, uh, because he has ascended, descended and then ascended in verse 11, uh, that he has given us different functions within the church. Um, yes, yeah, so I don't want to go a whole lot further right now into um, Ephesians um, verse 9 and 10, but I would love to have a conversation with you if that's something that... Um, that you find interesting, something that concerns you, whether it's through direct message, um, I'll, I'll be more than happy to to kind of have a discussion with you about that. Um, it, it it's one of those things that um, is uh, ultimately, if we're talking about whether or not I'm a believer in Christ, uh, this is a non-essential. Um, the essentials are that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life. Uh, died a substitutionary death. He died in my place, in your place, took our sins upon his shoulder, became our sins, uh, that by his blood we're, we're healed, by his blood we're sanctified, uh, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day by the power of the Spirit of God, that he has ascended to heaven and he's returning again. Uh, those things we have to agree on. Uh, but uh, But on Ephesians 9 and 10, it's a little bit like Genesis 6 where... Uh, there's quite a number of interpretations and explanations for that. Um, but, but again, I'd be more than happy to talk to you individually and to, to, to send you a message back if you have a question about that, to send you some verses where that you can go and read what Scripture says about that as a whole. But ultimately what Paul is doing is proclaiming the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so we have been called, we have been chosen, we should be unified, we should, we should live with each other peaceably, so that means we have to be humble and gentle and loving to one another, uh, and then it's this victory of Christ, and now Paul begins to go into the different callings that God has placed on individuals within the church. Now, I just want to say, even though these are callings of individuals within the church, we should not mistake that to mean that, that um, callings outside of the church are not equally important. They are. Um, those of us who, uh, who have, um, and we have five children, and so they're all at home, and they're all trying to finish schoolwork up at home. And so, uh, in a sense, mom and dad are, are um, like substitute teachers. And, uh, and so I promise you that I appreciate our teachers so much. Um, those of you who know me know that I, I started out as a teacher uh, and coach before I became a pastor. And so I definitely respect and I believe that, that the role of a teacher is a very high calling. Just like I believe the role of a, a doctor and a nurse is a high calling in Christ. We need Christian teachers. We need Christian doctors. We need Christian lawyers. We, we, we need Christian everything. And so God has called us all to do different things. What Paul talks about here, though, is literally functions and offices within the church. Um, and, uh, and so in verse 11, he just says, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, uh, and then the last one is really kind of grouped together. Some pastors and teachers. Um, 
So I, I, I would submit to you that you can't be a pastor and not be a teacher of God's word, that those two things have to go together if that's your calling. Uh, and at the same time, it is true that God calls some people to, to teach his word, uh, whether it be a small group or Sunday school class. But ultimately what Paul is telling us here is that uh, God has called and gifted people to do certain tasks and to serve in certain offices within the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says that he is, um, he's called these to, to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of of God's Son, growing into maturity with a, a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And so what Paul uh, literally saying here is that um, God does not call people to the church to simply sit on a pew and let other people do the work. That when, when God calls you to be a part of the body of Christ... He is calling you into some type of ministry. He's calling you to do something. In fact, he says that, that it's the work of the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so what the church's responsibility is, is that we train our people, that we equip our members, that we uh, equip those who, who uh, worship with us, whether it be in our building, through Facebook Live, uh, that we, we've been called as a church to equip people um, to grow in their walk with Christ and to find what it is their calling and ministry is and then to begin to minister to other people. Uh, and so all of us have different callings and God's given us different offices with, with all sorts of uh, requirements to, to be eligible for those things. But God has definitely called every single one of us to some ministry somewhere. And I would just submit to you that, that some people attend church um, and they attend church only um, looking for a personal benefit. Um, but that's really like becoming a, a leech. Uh, and just it sucks the lifeblood out of the church. Because what the church is to do is to equip the people in the pews to be about the ministry of Christ. And so the church can only function as well as the members function. Now, we fail as a church if we're not equipping our people. But if we're trying to equip our people and our people are just stagnant and stuck and not growing and not finding what it is God's called them to do, uh, we've got to remind people they've been called for the work of the ministry. They've been called for the work of service. Why? Because we are to build up the body of Christ. 412 tells us that, uh, that we are to build up the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as, as a church family, as a, as a church, we are called to equip people, to, to train people, to raise people up. And so uh, what you need to be doing, if you, if you um, are, are searching for your calling in ministry, according to Paul, right? God's given you one. God has a purpose for you as a part of the body of Christ. And if he has a purpose and a calling for you, then you need to be seeking that out. You need to be in a church where they will help you to, to, to find that calling and equip you to be about that, uh, whether it be in the workplace, in the home place, at the marketplace, whatever it is God's called you to do, whatever it is God's given you a passion for and a passion to serve. There's so many ways we can serve and minister. Uh, 
Uh, I know for us, Meals on Wheels is a, an awesome ministry where we can serve. Um, not only Meals on Wheels, but we have Iron City Ministry here in our city where, where people can volunteer, people can donate, people can give to the ministry. And so God has called us to be about the work of the kingdom. And that, you know, I mean, we don't pay people to be about the work of the kingdom. We pay people to equip all people to be about the work of the kingdom. And so those who are called to be ministers are called to minister and equip the body of Christ to function literally as the body of Christ and, and to be taking the kingdom of God throughout the ends of the earth and the message of the gospel. And so this, I don't want to give you a lecture here. I'm just telling you what Paul is saying is that as the body of Christ, we have been called to be unified. Humility, peace, gentleness, humbleness, right? All, all these things, love, where is the way we ought to treat one another and be concerned with one another. Um, but then he goes in and says, but even though we're called to unity, we're not all called to do the same thing. We don't all play the same function within our church. If everybody was a pastor, it would be a miserable place to go on Sunday morning. But, but God's called some to be pastors and, and some to be evangelists and some to be... Um, He's called us to all different functions and offices. And so what we need to do is begin equipping our people to do the work of the ministry. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians, is that if we're really going to be a unified body of Christ, we're really going to understand the mystery of the church, then it begins by understanding what is my part to play in as, as an individual member of the body of Christ. And then to find a place where I'm being equipped, where I'm being trained to be able to go out and to, to use that ministry that God's called me to. And, uh, and then to understand that all this is being done, um, how we are growing in maturity as we mature, as we become more sanctified, as we become more like Christ. Paul would say in many places, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, I think what a beautiful picture that is. And so we are to train people, disciple people. I think it's so important that we have one-on-one -on -one discipleship where, where people come together and just voluntarily say, listen, let's meet once a week. Let's have breakfast. Let's be accountable to one another. Let's, let's read a, a book together. Let's go through a Bible study together. Let's, let's go through this life together. Uh, and then, you know, after a year or so, that those two then take two other people, and those two meet with two others, and, and this multiplication takes place where the church really is equipping uh, the people for the ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so this is what a mature Christian church, this is what a mature body of Christ looks like where people are all carrying out various functions, have different gifts. Those gifts are being used in the ministry. And so it, it, um, it does create unity in the church, right? When we're all doing our part. And so the, the problem with the church is when we're not all doing our part, the body can't function the way it should. This is literally what Paul is telling us, that not only should we be unified, but then we ought to identify uh, our differences and our diversities and figure out how we use them together to be about the, the unified task of the kingdom of God, of taking the ministry to other places, especially outside the walls of our church. And that's why he says growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And so what we desire and what we want 
is we want to be living in the fullness of God. And the way we live in the fullness of God is to be about the ministry of Christ. And the way we're about the ministry of Christ is to be equipped to carry out what it is God's called us to do. And the way we become equipped is when the church is functioning in unity, humility, and gentleness, and peace uh, with Christ as our foundation. Verse 14 uh, says this, Then you will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. And so, so here's what Paul's saying is uh, that the church can't be unified and the church can't function the way that the church should function if everybody in the church uh, act as children. And so, so uh, you know, here, here's my thing. I expect children to act like children. I don't expect grown men to act like children. Uh, I expect people that are new to the faith um, to not fully understand uh, what it means to walk in the fullness of Christ. That's the job of the church to equip them to do that. Uh, but someone who's been a Christian for 25, 30 years, their whole life even, that they should not be stagnant in their walk with, with Christ. They, they should be growing continually throughout their life and they ought to be growing into the fullness of who Christ has called them to be so that they can carry out the ministry that God's called them to carry out. And so as children are, are tossed to and fro um, uh, just uh, you know, by the wind, just as, as the wind blows. And so, um, so we have young Christians who are new to the faith that need us to uh, need the church to disciple them, to equip them, to help them find what it is God's called them to do, to help it help them find what it what it is that the Lord God desires for them to use their life for uh, something bigger than them. That that's the thing. God's called us to something bigger than who we are, uh, and and that is to play a part in His kingdom program and and. and um, and in his tapestry of weaving together a people throughout history that will make up the body of Christ, if we're going to be effective, then we have to understand, one, we've been called to be unified, to love one another, be at peace with one another. And two, we've been called to be different and diverse from one another. And we need to appreciate our differences. We need to embrace our diversity we need to understand there are some people um, that I can reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ that you will never reach. And there are some people that you can reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ that I could never reach. And so it's only when we are all embracing what it is God's called us to do and the various gifts God's given us that we'll begin to see the church uh, literally be the church. It's sad because uh, the majority of our churches, and I'm not, I'm not calling any church out, I'm just giving you the general state, I believe, of our churches today, is that there's very little unity within the church, there's very little equipping of the saints within the church, there's very little discipleship that's going on in the church. We have watered down the gospel of Jesus Christ to make it more palatable to other people. Uh, when the when when Christianity has always required courage, because you are going to be set apart, you're going to be different than the world around you, and and we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from the fact that God has called us out of the world to be set apart from the world 
so that we can minister to the world. And we can't minister to the world when we still act like the world. All right? I mean, we have to come together unified as the body of Christ. We have to come together discipling one another, ministering to one another, equipping one another, iron sharpening iron, so that when we walk outside our church doors and into our communities and our jobs and our schools, that we are prepared to take a stance for Christ in love, in humility, in gentleness, so that people see us, they see something different in us, and they desire what it is we have, and we have Jesus Christ and the very Spirit of God living within us that has the power to save them as well. But the only way we're going to see revival, the only way we're going to see people really come to a deep, passionate love relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, um, is when we as the church begin to be the church that Scripture dictates us to be. And so Paul here is saying, listen, to the church at Ephesus, man, you guys need to be unified. You people are coming from all kind of backgrounds. You people are coming from different places. We talked about Priscilla and Aquila being uh, left in Ephesus. We, we talked about um, um, you know Titus being left here, uh, Paul giving messages, um, calling people out. So we have a church here that's not functioning the way um, that God has um, commanded the church to function, and Paul is calling it out. He's laying it out very clearly and very practically and saying, listen, you've all been called to different positions and different gifts and different talents have been given to every one of you. Now what are you doing with the gifts that God has given you? Because if we, if we put together the idea of equipping the saints uh, along with helping them to grow in their faith, uh, we will see people um, become so kingdom-minded and, um, and to reach beyond our, our doors in a way that we haven't seen for a long time. Uh, understand this. This is our goal. Our goal is not that people merely do jobs in the church. I want to tell you that uh, if you've never served on a nominating committee, you don't have a full appreciation um, for uh, how hard it is to get people uh, to do the various ministries within the church, to volunteer, to do the various things that need to be done in the church. I don't know what the statistics is now, but it used to be that kind of 95% rule where... Uh, you know, 5% of the people do 95% of the work. Uh, I'm blessed that here at Buffalo that's not the case, that we kind of have an all-hands-on-deck mentality and we're all kind of trying to do our part. We all fall short, but we certainly are trying to do all we can. Um, and, and there are other great and wonderful churches where, where people are doing the best they can to equip all people and, and people are out there. But But our goal is not simply to get people to accept a job in the church or to volunteer for a position in the church. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Our goal is to see people grow in Christ and to excel and be equipped in the area they are called to minister. And so when we help people put together and match what it is God's called them to do and what they're passionate about, and then we equip them to do that, we're going to see people excited and passionate about the work of the kingdom, about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, uh, Paul goes into talking about um, 
that, that we want to mature. Uh, that our goal is to grow up in Christ, uh, to grow into the fullness of Christ, to become more like Christ. Uh, we can't all, we just can't continue to be babies in Christ. Uh, but once the Lord Jesus Christ saves us, uh, then his desire is that we become sanctified, that we become more like him, that, uh, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, by digging into the scriptures, by, by spending time in prayer. Uh, and these are not jobs we want to check off a list. Uh, this is all part of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, when you open the Word of God, when you read the Word of God, you are, you are literally taken in the very Word of God. This is a relational thing. It's God speaking to me through the Word He's revealed. It's, when I go to Him in prayer, it's me having a personal conversation with the Creator of the universe. And so we want people to grow in their walk with Christ. We want people to, to know what it is that where God's given them a passion to serve. Verse 15 says this. Uh, well, well, let's just hit 14 just real quick. Here's what Paul says. If we don't grow up, then we're going to be manipulated by false teaching. Um, and I see this so much. Um, and many of the movements throughout American Christianity where people have bought into a consumer-type Christianity, uh, where people um, have just a hook, line, and sinker taken the bait uh, for something that just isn't the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And, um, and it's sad, man, but, but the reason it's happening is because we're not standing up enough. We're, we're not... We're not speaking loud enough. We're not loving people and being gentle and, and humble. And, and it's almost become uh, an if or, right? Um, uh, one or the other where it's kind of like uh, we become so hard and this is what you have to do when what we've been called to, to be as humble and patient and gentle and loving as we um, are seeing and equipping those uh, in Christ. Um, but we've almost pushed many away with not, not the true teaching of the gospel, but with a, an um, incompassion or uncompassionate view uh, of the gospel. Uh, remember that Jesus tells the church be unified here through, through the Apostle Paul, that we're to be humble and gentle, patient with one another, bearing with one another in love. And so, um, so we can take the, the hard truths of Scripture and present them in a way to encourage and to lift up uh, because um, when we begin to live the truth of Scripture, it's when we experience uh, what true abundant life on this side of eternity is and to get to experience even a little bit of the kingdom of God uh, here on earth before uh, our Lord Jesus returns. Uh, so we don't want to be... Um, kind of tossed to and fro by every teaching we hear. We want to be stable. We want our foundation built on Christ and the Scriptures. Um, and if we do that, uh, Paul tells us a little bit how in verse 15, he goes a little further, uh, which uh, kind of tends to go back to the beginning of chapter 4. But 15 says, by speaking the truth in love. And so how do we, um, how do we, equip people to do the work they've been called to do. Uh, we don't have to change the message. Uh, we continue to share the truth, but we share the truth in love. Uh, 
right? We shared in love. And I think this is one of the cases where maybe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been, been guilty of um, taking the truth and not sharing it in love, uh, but almost being judgmental in our presentation uh, of what, what the gospel is. Listen, our Lord Jesus Christ uh, was the living embodiment of truth, and yet he loved people. And had compassion on people. And so Paul says that we do this, we accomplish this uh, within the church by speaking the truth in love. Uh, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Now this is important. Uh, here's something that should humble us. Here's something that should uh, uh, open our eyes and, uh, and kind of put us in the right frame of mind. Um, the church is not, does not belong to man. The church belongs to Christ. The truth is found in Christ. And so all the work that we're being equipped to do, all the discipling that we're trying to do so people grow in, in Christ, um, all the equipping of the saints that, that the church does, we do all this because Christ is, is our head. It is Christ's church, not our own. Uh, I see this sometimes too, and, and, and I have to be careful uh, about this as well. Um, the churches that we attend and the churches that we're members of, those churches do not belong to us. They belong to Christ. And, uh, and we need to be about the business of Christ. And that's what Paul is calling us to, is unity. Uh, even though we are diverse, that we come together unified with a common mission, and that is of taking the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. We do that by speaking the truth in love so that we might grow in every way uh, into him who is our head, that we might grow into the fullness of Christ, Paul says. And then in verse 16, he says, uh, from him, from Christ, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Here's the deal. If one person in our church is not carrying their weight, not doing their part, then the entire body suffers. And this is what Paul's saying. Listen, we, we've been called to one body, and, and so we have this really high calling of being the church of Jesus Christ. And within this one calling of being the church of Jesus Christ, each individual has their own special calling, uh, this passion that God's given them, this desire to serve. And, and the church, this unified church body, is to equip those people to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as one body, even though we are diverse in the way we serve. But it requires all of us doing our part, working together with one goal, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, one hope in Christ, uh, one mind, the mind of Christ. Uh, and, and so Christ has to be central to everything we do. And, and so it takes all of us doing our part. And so, uh, so if I decide to take a week off or two weeks off or a month off, then the entire body of Christ suffers for that. And, and so it has to be all hands on deck. It has to be everybody doing their own part. It has to be the church 
equipping the members. It has to be the members supporting the church. Uh, this is a this is a 100%. We're completely all in as the body of Christ, whether it's the leadership of our church, the, the ministers of the church, the deacons of the church, the committees of the church. Uh, we all have to work together to accomplish the same mission, right? And the mission is that we equip our people to take the good news of Jesus Christ outside the walls of the church to a world that's lost, dying, and hurting. And so kind of what's, what's the application? What's the takeaway? Uh, you know, I'd ask you to consider uh, a few things. One, how do these verses uh, contribute uh, to the way we understand the church? I mean, if we just look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and we look at this passage, we look at this scripture which is detailing the mystery of the church, then what looks different about the church in scripture than the churches that we might attend on Sundays or Wednesdays? That's an important question we need to ask, whether it be ministers, uh, leadership teams, committees, church members. This is what scripture says the church ought to look like. Does the church look like this? And if not, what can we do? What, what part can we play so that the church begins to reflect what, what the gospel and what the New Testament epistles and letters, the pastoral letters, what they tell us the church should look like? And what Paul says is the church ought to be very diverse, unified in Christ, all saved through one spirit, by one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, through all, and in all. But we are all diverse, and we have different gifts, and we're using those different gifts to accomplish the same goal. This is what the church of Ephesians is told they should look like. Is the church at Ephesus doing this? Not at the time the letter's written, right? Paul's writing this letter to try to fix some problems that are taking place within the church at Ephesus. Uh, we all have room to grow as churches. We all have room um, to become better and more biblical. And, and so Paul is laying out for us practically as the church, members love one another. Members be unified. Put differences aside. Um, treat one another with humility, gentleness, and peace, and love. Then embrace the differences we have. Let's embrace who we are in Christ. Because God's called us all to do different things. And when we all work together doing the different various things God's called us to do, then the church begins to uh, become the church that, that Scripture um, is dictating we should be. This is when we begin to reach uh, people from all places and all, all languages and all ethnicity. Th this is what God desires. The church to be a diverse place where various gifts have been given by grace, by Christ, to believers to do the work of the ministry. And so as members of churches, you should expect your church to equip you to do the work of ministry. You need to be growing in your walk with Christ. There needs to be evidence that the church is serious about teaching you uh, the deep and true um, words of Christ in the Scripture. What God has revealed through the apostles. And, uh, and we should reflect that in who we are as the church. And if we're not, then we ought to be willing to say there's some things we need to change. And so I would just encourage you, make sure, one, that you are taking part in what your church offers 
to equip you. If your church offers small groups or, or Bible studies, um, then you need to be willing to take part in those things before you say the church isn't equipping us. If, if your church just isn't offering you the opportunity to grow in Christ and be equipped, uh, that's a different conversation, and you need to be in a place where you're growing in Christ. Um, yeah, we want to be fitted and knitted together as one body where we embrace our differences because we understand that our differences make us better, make us stronger. Um, it improves our ability to reach to those around us. And so we, we certainly want our churches to reflect and look like our communities. Um, yeah, so, so you need to be asking that question. Um, you ought to be asking the question, why do you go to church? What, what do you hope to get out of church? Are you just showing up to, to get your name checked on a list that you were there? Are you just showing up, you know, and, and, uh, and paying your tithes and, and you really have no expectation? Uh, because according to Paul, there needs to be this expectation that we're maturing in Christ and that we're being equipped to do the ministry of Christ. And so not only should we look at what our church is doing, but we should look at our own motivation and ask the question, what is it that I desire to get out of church? Uh, when I wake up on Sunday morning, what is it that excites me about going to God's house today? What is it that I expect to get uh, when I go into God's house with God's people? And I would just say this, that when you feel the most connected with other Christians, it's when you're your reach is going to become greatest to the world around you. We need to be unified. We need to come together uh, as one body, one body in Christ. Um, whatever it is that the world would say should separate us, Christ says, I've, I've, I've overcome the world and I've tore down the dividing wall. Now you can truly be one people. Even with your differences, you can be unified in Christ. And then we embrace our differences to reach the world around us with the good news and the gospel of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you for this mystery that you call the church. We thank you for your practical instructions of how the church uh, needs to equip their people and how people need to come to church expecting to be equipped and to meet with God. Lord, we pray that you minister to us Keep our families, our communities, our doctors, our nurses, uh, Lord, all of our uh, essential workers safe. We just pray that this virus that so many are dealing with, uh, Lord, we would see the numbers just uh, drastically drop and we would give you glory and honor for that. We pray that you speak to our hearts again and even as the study ends, that, uh, Lord, that your spirit just continues to speak to us. Uh, tell us what we need to hear. Show us what we need to change that we might be more like you, and that we might be uh, a part of taking your kingdom to the community around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.